Hello and welcome to the Fight Like a Girl podcast. Today I had the absolute privilege of speaking to the wonderful Rosie Sexton. Um, She has a background in MMA. She's a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And uh, yeah, she's generally an amazing person. Um, We talk a lot about her work in osteopathy and um, injury prevention, injury um, rehabilitation, which is super interesting. So um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy. I just start recording. It's brilliant. Excellent. Right. So, um, you're obviously Rosa Sexton. And um, last time I checked. <laughs> so, as I was uh, saying before, like you're probably one of the first people who I've uh, received a recommendation for speaking to because I wanted to speak to someone about uh, longevity in the sport. And obviously, your position as an osteopath puts you in a very good position. And I've had very... Um, very good experiences with osteopaths in the past like 12 months where I had uh, some issues with my back and stuff oh, excellent. and um, that's good to hear yeah like I've received some of the most satisfying clicks in my back <laughs> in the past 12 months and um so that's been uh super good Fantastic. and um, so yeah and like I I tried to do a bit of research uh, mm. about you beforehand because I don't like coming in um like cold but like for all of the other podcasts I've Mm -hmm. done I always have like a list of questions that I want to speak to people Mm -hmm. about you're the first person where I'm just going to talk because I don't like how like the conversation stops and everything's a bit weird so um yeah I found Mm -hmm. your wikipedia page and then like the more I read the more I was confused I was like see I thought that you were just like an osteopath and um you had a a background in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and um, that was kind of it but that's not the case you have a very wide and varied history <laughs> I have a short attention span I think you could say <laughs> so um, I've done a lot of things um, <laughs> you, you very much have um, so I'm going to talk to you um, I'll, I'll talk first about uh, your um, experience in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and then we'll move on to sure. other things yeah. if that's okay so um I'm aware that you originally started uh, traditional jiu-jitsu before yes. Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And you got your black belt in that. And you yeah. were, was it uh, uh, taekwondo or kickboxing? Taekwondo, taekwondo was my first martial art. And I got involved in that when I was a teenager. So I was about 14, I think. Um, and it just happened to be there was a local club. And they stuck a flyer through the door. And for some reason, this sounded like a good idea. I think I had this idea that I wanted to learn some self-defense. I mean, it's hard to sort of think back to what was actually going through my head at the time. Mm. Um, but but yeah, no, I think it was probably mostly a self-defense thing. Um, and I did that for a bit. And by the time I got to university, I had a chance to try some other martial arts. And I realized that Taekwondo wasn't a be-all and end-all when it came to self-defense. Yeah. Um, so I tried a few other things. I did some traditional jiu-jitsu. And then that was when I started hearing about this new thing that is going on in America called the UFC. Yes. Um, and actually, I, I think I saw a documentary about a couple of British fighters that had been involved in this radically new sport, mixed martial arts. that was all very controversial at the time. It was very niche. And um, 
I think that, that was Lee Remedios and Ian Freeman. I think it did that. Um, that was that was the first thing I, I saw on mixed martial arts. And I watched that and I went, I want to have a go at that. And I think it's because I'd I'd been doing martial arts for quite a while, but I still wasn't confident that if push came to shove and you know somebody attacked me in a dark alleyway, mm. I would actually be able to make any of that stuff work. What was it about um, your experience in the martial arts that caused you to have those doubts? Was it the, the taekwondo? Was it the points-based I think it's the, I mean, a lot of the things that you learn, uh, I mean, you learn these techniques, and a lot of it you drill on a, a relatively compliant opponent. Yes. But as soon as you get a little bit out of that, you do this and I do that, and you know, yeah. we do this little dance, and it all goes the way it's supposed to, as soon as you step out of that choreography, um, things get very much harder. And I think once you've been around martial arts for a little while, you start yeah. to you start to notice this. And I mean, I was getting to the stage where I was doing a bit of teaching. You know, I was instructor grade, people coming through and they're asking me questions. I was just thinking, you know what? I've never actually been in a fight. Mm. I don't know that any of this stuff works, and I don't feel comfortable teaching this to other people without having having experienced that. Yeah, Um, I think that's what made me start to think, well, actually, I want to, you know, how how would I deal with a real fight? You know, what would I what would I do? You know, if somebody attacked me, would I actually be able to do any of this or am I just going to freeze? And until you've been there, you don't don't really know. So So that's when you left your gym and tried to pick a fight with the nearest person you saw or? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a bit difficult when you're sort of five foot four and female because picking fights is not <laughs> it's not ideal i mean especially for me because i mean i was always the nerdy kid in school you know i was i, I want to uh, come on to that in a little yeah bit yeah well. I, I i was never really uh, and so the, this whole idea of, you know going out and picking a fight with somebody just to prove that i can do it i had no idea how to go about that mm. um so when i saw this thing about mixed martial arts uh, that's definitely something that i want to have a go at so from there i started looking out for clubs and I found somewhere in Manchester that mm. was um and I, I initially sort of got interested in the grappling and yeah again this was back in the very early days so this was when if you had a blue belt and knew how to do an arm bar from guard you yeah. were really something special <laughs> um so I started getting in, into that um I did a few grappling competitions there was no real women's mixed martial arts going on in this country mm. at all at that point I mean it was a new thing you know at all yeah. um but you know i i think um i had a look around but there, there wasn't any obvious opportunities to fight um and then somebody posted up on one of the forums looking for an opponent for a woman somewhere mm. I no idea what weight class she is or what her background was or anything like that and i sort of got on the phone and went can you tell me some more you. about this um <laughs> I, I don't think i actually quite apologize well can you tell me a little bit more about you know mm you know what the event is and what the rules are and who the opponent is and all of those things and by the time I actually made that call I said oh we've we've found somebody um mm. but we'll you know we'll, keep, we'll, we'll keep, keep in touch and yeah. if anything comes up in future we'll let you know um, and then the day before the fight they called me back and said the opponent's dropped out do you want to do it so I thought that would be totally crazy um because I haven't been training for a fight I I hadn't had a full contact fight. I mean, I'd barely even done any full contact sparring of that kind. I'd yeah. done some um, 
sort of point jujitsu sparring matches mm. and things like that. So I had uh, a rough idea, but I hadn't done anything full contact. Um, and uh, but at the same time, it was an opportunity, and I didn't know when the next one was going to be around. So yeah. I thought, okay, well, let's give this a go, and we'll see what happens. Mm. So I did, and I got punched in the head a few times and got hold of her and practiced the ground and put an armbar on, and, and, and that was great. Um, and I thought, okay, so I wonder how good I could get at this. Yeah. And that's when I started thinking, okay, well, it'd be good to do a bit more. And then I think it was around about 2002 when I watched the first all-women's mixed martial arts show from America. got it on DVD. That was Hook and Shoot Revolution. Hmm. Um, it was with Debbie Purcell and Erica Montoya and Tara La Rosa and a few of the others, you know, the, uh, really sort of old-school pioneers. Hmm. Um, and again, I saw that. I saw, this is a thing. People do this. Yeah. Um, and... I sort of think, well, can I get out there and you know, maybe mm. sort of get some international experience, you know, fight yes. abroad, that sort of thing. And at the time, like I say, this was all very low key. So I never had, um, I was never expecting it to get as big as it did. Yeah. I and mean, this was back in the days when nobody got into mixed martial arts with the idea of becoming rich and famous. <laughs> yeah, it was it's, more it a was show just, of... Um, you did it for you. you yeah. know, it's, it's one of those things. Um, and I mean... Back then, the idea that women would ever be in the UFC was, you know, people... Yeah, they were I mean, laughing about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, women don't so, fight. Yeah. Women don't hurt each other. You've never seen it then. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you don't see it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yes. But, um, but yeah, so I never really expected it to get as big as it did. And it's, the sport sort of grew up around me, um, mm. and, which is why it was all a little bit weird by the time, you know, got to... Yeah. Um, sort of towards the end of my career, just realising just how big it was. Um, so how old were you when you um, had your first MMA fight? Um, that was back in 2002, so I would have been 25, so not, not a kid. Um, yeah. Because um, you, you ended your career in 2014. 14, yeah. And like your record was like 18 and 5 or something. It's, it's something like that, yeah. It's, mm. uh, like, I had a look through your list of fights, <laughs> and you didn't have easy fights. <laughs> um, like, you uh, you fought um, Gina Carano. Yes. Like, one of, uh, like, the pioneers of uh, women's mixed martial arts. Um, Joanna Jonjacek. Yes. And um, is it is it Aisling or Ashling Daly? Ashling Daly, yeah. Yeah. Um, did she just um, recently get her black belt? Yes, in... she, she's had it for a little while, I think. Actually, um, she's—I uh, mean, she's very good, actually. Um, mm. As I, I, sp- I speak to her sometimes. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I—it's I, interesting actually because my my best weight class was flyweight. It was 100, 125 pounds, but I actually fought a lot of my fights. We were at one hundred and thirty-five. Mm. Um, is it, it was very much a question of taking the opportunities where you can, mm. and. Uh, certainly when when the UFC came calling you know that was when they had one weight division yeah so you know the question isn't what weight class do you want to fight in it's do you want to fight in the UFC yeah you You were the first British woman to fight in the UFC as well um how many fights did you have with the UFC two like that's that must have been awesome 
Like, yeah. Um, I mean, that was a, that was a hell of an experience. It was a roller coaster ride. Um, I mean, the fight with Alexis Davis, I, th- I thought was a really good fight. Actually, I didn't quite get the nod. Um, mm. But it was one of those. It was it was it was close enough that I think it could have gone either way. You know, you can make yeah. an argument for. Um, um, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the second UFC fight didn't didn't really go to plan but no that's one of those things but I mean, that's the nature of a fight you know no no plan survives contact with the enemy <laughs> exactly um, <laughs> um but like you had one of your fights in las vegas and like yeah just having a look through like your list of fights mm-hmm. you fought all over the world um so like you mm-hmm. no one can say that you didn't give it a good shot no one can say that um and like it must have been great for you to experience um, like all of the different cultures and stuff around the same sports that you're doing. Because I yeah. know, like, mm-hmm. for me, I when I train jiu-jitsu, I feel like I'm training in a bubble, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to compete in the first place, because it meant I got to fight people from all over the country. Mm. And I wanted to see if what I'm learning down here yeah. is this uh, would work yes. on how, do, how does that up there match and, up against what other people yeah. are doing? Absolutely. And when I was speaking to um, mm-hmm. Helen Curry about her experience with jiu-jitsu, mm-hmm. she was telling me about um, when she got her brown belt and um, her and her husband flew over to, um, I'm going to get this wrong, <laughs> I think it was Malibu or, oh, I listened to it yesterday as well. Anyway, um, she wasn't expecting like to be graded for a belt or anything. They thought they were just going in for a role because <laughs> um, they were getting married in uh, a week later or something. And um, she ended up having like an hour long set like Shark Tank session with everyone. And she said that that was probably her most um, uh, her favorite experience in Jiu Jitsu because it was the first time she got to fight with other women her size and um her skill level yeah and um just it was um i want to say vindicating but i don't think that's the right word um but like she was saying it was um validating yes that she, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like um, what she was learning this here. stuff works yeah yeah she was learning everything and she could hold her own and mm-hmm. she could go anywhere in the world and have mm-hmm. like the same kind of results because yeah her and darren were kind of training in a bubble where they'd only have like chris hoyer over like once or twice a yeah. year they would go to see him and like they would train on their mm-hmm. own and stuff and like she wasn't sure where she was in the hierarchy so it was just a nice experience to fight with other people yes and then like as you say you were you were in the um you're in mixed martial arts as it was mm-hmm. growing and like from an outside from a spectator's point of view mm-hmm. looking in like you can see different points of view but from your yeah. point of view you were just training for this person so everything else yeah. didn't really matter and you were just well, yeah. putting yourself against yeah. others i mean and it's one of the things the first few fights i had i mean all the opponents were relatively inexperienced because again nobody yeah. nobody was, had really been doing this for very long so everyone was trying to figure it out as they went along um i mean the first the first international fight i had was um dina van Hooven, and that was the one i had in um just shortly after lewis was born lewis was born in april and then this fight was in november um <laughs> and um Dina was she'd had some really good results in the European competition scene and she'd just come off she'd knocked out the girl who footlocked Chris Cyborg brilliant um so 
yeah, so this made, I was a bit nervous about this, you know. I thought, mm. this, you know, this this could be an interesting one because again, this was the first opponent I'd had who had a really solid grappling pedigree. Yes. Um, and I think uh, again, you know, I'd been back in the scene for only a few months after, you know, after I was born. So it, it was, um, uh, and that was. Um, I mean, that, that was a tough fight, and that was the. I thought, you know what, I, I, I can, I can hold my own against, you know, mm. the uh, the cream of the crop. Yeah, you know, the the certainly, you know, the talent level that's out there. Mm. You know, this is, a, um, and again, that I, th- I think that gave me the taste for wanting to find out. Well, okay, so how can I, how far can I take this, and mm. and and what next? <laughs> Excellent. Um, so, bringing it back a little bit to mm-hmm. your um, career in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, who was like? Have you always had the same instructor for Jiu-Jitsu? And when you started, like, did you start in the gi and then go to the no gi stuff, or have you just never really done? I've, I've always, I've always done both. Um, I mean, I started. I suppose my background. Coming from jiu-jitsu, traditional jiu-jitsu and a bit of judo, mm. um, I mean that was all gi. So yeah. it was only when I started getting interested in mixed martial arts that's when I started rolling no gi, mm. and that was a big culture shock. So it's like you don't have anything to hold on to. <laughs> what do I do? Um, yeah. And uh, that took a, a bit of getting used to. And then over the years, I mean I've, I've trained at a lot of different places. I sort of moved gyms a few times during mixed martial arts career, um, and. Uh, I've trained with various different people. So actually all of my th- grades are from different people, um, mm. just by, by circumstance, you know. Um, and uh, I've, um, I mean, when I once I got into the mixed martial arts, I found myself doing a lot more no-gi. Mm. Um, and I did try and keep up with the gi jiu-jitsu. Yeah. But it's, I just don't love it. I yeah. just don't love it. Um, <laughs> it is a very love-hate relationship yeah. that people have with the gi. I mean, I, I love no gi. I love wrestling. Um, and it just feels good. Mm. Gi, to me, I do it and I train it um, because I want to get good at it. And I understand that it's it's good to learn. Um, but I do it in much the same way that I eat cabbage. <laughs> you know, I do it because you it's, good. it's good. I do for it me. because it's good for me. But... Yeah. I am not quite in love with it. Yeah, you're not doing it by you know, choice. You're yeah. doing it because well, you have to. Again, not quite, because I could choose not to do it. You know, I could yeah. just do nogi. That's fine. In, you know, I'm, I'm at a stage now where nobody's... I'm old enough that nobody's <laughs> really going to... Uh, <laughs> going to tell me, tell me off too much. Um, but I do it because I think it's good for me. I think it's, you know, it's, it's, a youth, it's something I want to learn. But, I mean, in terms of competing in the gi, um, I just like my fingers too much. Yes. You know, it's one of those things, if I grab hold of somebody and they really want that grip back, I'm going to let them have it back because yeah. I, I, I like my fingers, you know, I, I need my fingers for work and, yes, you know, and very much. everything. So what I've decided, I, I mean, I've, I've thought about going back and getting on a competition mat and doing some, but it, that would definitely be no gi. I've, I don't, I'm, I'm not really interested in competing mm. in a gi. Um, I do it, like I say, I train it and I, I roll and, and that's fine. Um but that's as far as I, I really want to take that, I think. Mm. Um, so when you were training um, for your MMA career, did you compete in uh, like 
jiu-jitsu, strictly jiu-jitsu only can I did some, I did some. I, I, I never did a lot, um, certainly compared to some people. I've, mm. I've never really had got that uh, competition pedigree with jiu-jitsu. I mean, back in the old days, when there wasn't much in the way of mixed martial arts going on, mm. um, we do some grappling competitions just to, you know, um, just to stay busy, I think. Um, but again, this was back in the, the, there weren't that many women to compete against. And you turn up yeah. at the competitions and it would be all the same faces. Um, and, you know, there'd, there'd be a, there was sort of three or four of us who were, you know. Yeah. And eventually you start, going, okay. Um, so, I mean, I kind of feel like I'm, I missed out a little bit, actually, because I could probably have, looking back, I think it would have been good for me to, to get involved and do a bit more mm. since there have been so many more women coming through. Yes. Um, and I mean, I, again, it's one of those things I'm, I keep looking at and going, you know, maybe I've still got a Masters World title in me. Um, but at the moment, I'm just so busy with with work and stuff. It's it's difficult to to string enough training together to make that happen. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, I'm also looking at some of these submission only comps that are going on. I think that looks fun. You know, I'd like to yeah. do that. So I'm I'm not quite I'm not sure I'm quite done yet. I, I think there might be I might have another a bit of a <laughs> go at that. But um, but at the moment, I just need to get business things to a point where they're you yeah, know, stable. Things are running smoothly, and I can maybe get a bit of my uh, my training time back. Mm. Um, well, I, I can only assume that this, like you're um, you're a practicing osteopath at the moment. Yes. And I'm yeah. assuming that, that takes up a heck of a lot of your time, because like I, I, with people who have issues with their back, I. It's either, um, well, this is from an outsider's perspective. Sure. I don't want to put words in yeah, your mouth. No, no, no. Um, like, I would largely feel that a lot of your clients would either be, um, like, professional, um, uh, like, athletes mm-hmm. or um, just uh, general, um, like, city professionals. Yeah, yeah. Like, people who sit in a chair all day yes. and yeah, slump yeah. over. So, yes, some of those. The office monkeys. Yeah, um, or the people that yeah. get slammed everywhere. Yeah, and I, I mean, I see I see some of each, you know. I mean, I as osteopathic, I treat a lot of jiu-jitsu guys and mixed martial artists, as you would expect, because yeah. I think people like coming to see somebody who understands the sport, and mm. I'm not going to look at them like they've grown another head when they try and explain to me how they did it. Yes. You know? And I say, well, I was lying on my back, and I had my legs wrapped around this guy's <laughs> head, and then they pick me up and they slide me on the back of my neck. Uh, and it's just not been the same since. And, you know, by the time you get to that point in the story, usually people are going, maybe you should not do this. Yeah. And then that just never goes well. So I think a lot of the time people are looking for somebody who at least appreciates what it is they do and why they're not going to stop doing this. Yeah. So can you please just tell me how to get back to it so I can go training this weekend? Um, yeah, like... Um I, I listened to Joe Rogan's podcast yeah. a lot and he describes jiu-jitsu as a, a cult because mm-hmm. there is mm-hmm. a kind of a cult mentality around it where everyone is so passionate about it that mm-hmm. no one wants to stop doing it once they start, yeah. essentially. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I think it's a slightly healthier way to frame that. I say it's a community. Yes, you know, very much. I think, I mean, a, a cult is a, a community with some dysfunctional problems you know yeah I think um and I think some aspects of jiu-jitsu can be like that you know mm. there, there are there are corners of the jiu-jitsu world that are a bit culty um but I think on the whole you know it's it's a community and mm. people need community I think yeah. that's an important thing so I think you know having that um I think um 
I say for, for for people who are used to doing that and you know a big part of their what they look forward to in life is going training a few times a week yeah. and you know hanging out with their jiu-jitsu buddies and it's a big thing and if you tell them oh I just want you to stop training for three months <laughs> generally speaking people are just going to ignore you um, yeah and I mean I always say I try I try not to do that you know I try mm. and keep my my jiu-jitsu guys my mixed martial arts guys I try and keep them training as much as I can and I mean how they train and what they're doing and yeah. what they need to be doing in addition to that to get things back that's all com- those are all conversations we can have yeah um but I'm very rarely going to look at somebody and say right I want you to stop doing that and just rest it for three months because I mean aside from anything else rest does on its own just resting something doesn't usually help no sometimes I mean occasionally it does if it's the right kind of problem sometimes just taking some time off will let mm. it settle down um but for a lot of problems uh particularly sort of tendon issues and things like this just resting something the pain might go away but as soon as you get back to doing what you're doing and mm. usually what happens is people then go back and expect to be able to jump in where they left off yeah. without doing any additional rehab or anything like that and that's when it flares up and it's even worse than it was before yes and then usually that's when they come and see me and I, then we you know start having yeah. that conversation like i had um, a similar conversation with uh, melanie doran the other day mm. um she has two of the vertebrae in her neck fused um, right yeah she was dropped yeah. on Oof. her her head yeah. that wasn't good and then she was she yeah. uh, had a car crash where she had uh like the middle and the base of her spine impacted. Yikes. So yeah. um, she said that when she went to her doctor, the doctor was like, yeah, you can't do that no more and you have to stop entirely. And yeah. she was like, well, they don't understand exactly yeah. what it is we do. do. And like, yes. Yeah, yeah. You need someone who understands that it's yeah. not just something that you can um, cast aside yeah. and think because yeah. where I was saying like jujitsu is a cult, it's like you say it's not a cult it's a community and one of the things that fuels it so much is people's passion for it and yes i've been i've been trying really hard to figure out what it is like where that passion stems from mm. and like there are so many contributing factors yep. to it yeah that it's um like you can't just pin it on one thing no it's like I think it's, it's there's a lot the of stimulation thing, yeah. that happens within it and it and a, a lot of different levels as well and like at white belt yeah. it can be very um overstimulating when you start which is why you get the people who um go all in straight away and mess up their body and and struggle to get back yeah and again when you've got somebody who comes from not having much of a sports background not having much of a a physical background yes who's been quite sedentary and they suddenly get into jiu-jitsu and they you know want to be doing it all the time again that's where you see a lot of these problems it's the it's not that their body can't cope with that it's that it's too much too soon mm-hmm. um, and I mean a lot of the injuries that I see tend to come down to some variation on too much too soon yeah. um, so we'd spend a lot of time talking about well how, how can we build things up um, so generally my philosophy when I'm getting somebody back to doing their activity is I want to get them back early mm. but in a limited way so we're going to restrict what you're going to do and that might be frustrating at first but it's important to go through that phase so that we can gradually build up your tolerance level to what you're doing because if you just wait until everything feels good again and then go back to and just try and go back in full on you're still going to have the same problems yes so you're still going to need to go through that period of building up 
what you're doing and how much you're doing. Um, so we might as well do that early. Yeah. So th- this is the way I look at things. So I'll spend a lot of time talking to people about, yes, you can train, but let's put some limits on it. That's, mm. you know, this is how we can gauge what you're doing, how much you're doing, with who you're doing it, and yeah. what else you need to be doing in order to make that work. So we, we'll talk about staying out of positions where they're likely to get problems. Yeah. You might say, okay, to start with, um, I don't. We're not. You're not going to roll, but you can go down and drill, or you can even do some live drilling in some specific situations, yeah. but not in others. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll talk about all of those things. Yeah. Um, and then if there's a particular position or a series of positions that, that they're having problems in, sometimes I'll actually get them in that position and say, right now, here's how we're going to build that up. So here's how we get from what you can do now to where you want to be. Mm. And we're going to just construct that drill and gradually progress the amount of resistance you're using with it. So I'll actually get quite sport specific with a lot of these things. You know, I'll get yeah. people down in the gym and I'll get the bands and balls and things like that out. And I'll say, well, how can we recreate those forces in a safe and controlled way so that you, your body can build up the strength and the, the tolerance to, to what you're doing? Mm. Um, and this is something, I mean, because I've, um, I mean, the worst injury I've got from my MMA slash BJJ days. Um, I've got two prolapsed discs in my neck. Um, have come from different times. Um, come from wrestling over mm. the years. And at one stage, I mean, I, I did actually see a neurosurgeon, and he was quite happy to operate. He was, uh, you know, we we could do that right now, looking at the MRI scan. Um, in the end, I decided to hold off and to have a another shot at doing some rehab first. And I mean, looking back, I'm very glad I did because right now. I've got, I get no pain in my neck at all. I'm, I'm still rolling. I can do everything. I mean, I can probably do more now than I was towards the end of my MMA career. Mm. Um, and I, I figured out sort of how, how to strengthen it, how to rehab it. And I've got a, a series of things that work for me. Um, but I mean, that's taken me a while to work out. And it's, uh, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm now sitting going, right, this is what I needed five years ago. Yeah. Uh, which is frustrating in a way. But at the same time, it's uh, I've got the opportunity to, help other people are in that situation yeah. and I've got a few fighters who are coming to me with similar neck problems to the ones I had because again it's a very common thing mm. um, I, I see it a lot in here and you're saying right now this is how make things better stop it going the way it went for me mm. um, so that's quite rewarding you know I, I, I enjoy doing that I enjoy being in a position to to help people get better outcomes I think it's, um, I mean, the difficulty, of course, is that, you know, for a lot of the youngsters going through, they're not really that interested in all of this stuff until they've been injured. (laughs) Yeah. Because when you're, you know, in your early 20s and and this, you you feel invulnerable, you know, it's like. Yeah. It's uh, like every sparring session has to be at 100% intensity. If not more. Especially at white belt when like the movements aren't 100% there and things are moving and um, like there's a lot more, uh, I want to say clumsiness around the But every round is the ADCC finals. Exactly. Um, Uh, And if I'm honest, like mm. I can't say I wasn't like that (laughs) because I was. Yeah. But but Um, now I like because I've had the issues that I have had with my back and mm. um, like with uh my leg but that was like it's closely attached to my back um like i've started to 
slow down, um, put myself in positions that cause me to work from the bottom without mm. um, using like strength and all of my energy. Just relax, do what I can to move around and stuff and uh, flow more yeah. more easily. Like I would rather have a hundred rounds at forty percent intensity mm-hmm. than five at a hundred. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I, that's something that I think comes with time and experience yeah and I mean I, this is something that I always is sometimes when you're rolling with somebody who's quite new to it and it just feels like they just want to you know they're going flat out and they just want to squash you mm. um the these politically incorrect term spaz out yes. um, <laughs> <laughs> and um I mean these days I, I used to get really pissed off about this and I'd go away going dickheads um <laughs> and then you know as you get older you kind of say well actually maybe let's let's have a conversation about this so I, mm. you, you sort of say to them if you relax a little bit then i don't have to play my a game yeah and that way i don't spend five minutes sitting on top of you not letting you move so that you don't injure me um you get to do a bit more and we both have a better role out of this mm. and generally when you speak to people they don't realize they're doing it yeah what I've noticed when you have that conversation people always be really apologetic and they'll go I'm so sorry I didn't realize you know and Mm. I think a lot of the time when people are just inexperienced they don't quite get it yeah they don't understand they don't understand especially if they're using a lot of force but it's not having much effect Mm. because their technique isn't very good they feel like okay what I need in here is more force yeah, and you know that that's not <laughs> more force is not going to solve your problem, but to them it feels like right. I just need to try harder, mm. um, rather than the idea of sort of trying to relax a little bit and slow down and try and figure out the technique. That's really counterintuitive. Yeah. When you're stuck in a bad position or something like that, mm. it's like I mean, the other sport that I sometimes do these days is climbing. Yes. And it's the same thing with climbing. You know, when you when you're clinging on to something for grim death, and you go, "Oh my God, I'm going to fall off. I'm going to die." You're not going to die, but it feels like you're going to die. Um, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is to relax and start thinking about movement and position. You just want to squeeze harder. Um, yeah. And I think it's only when you get a bit more experience that you start being able to relax a little bit. And until then, however often someone says, "Relax," yeah, you just can't do it. And I think this is something that people. Are, forget very quickly as they progress through the grades mm. is what it feels like to be a white belt and yeah. to have that sort of sense of whatever I do is going to be wrong because yeah. it is um <laughs> it's true and like I have I have this conversation with um some of the white belt girls yeah. at, uh, where I train mm. where um like they'll ask me for um advice on like the role that we've had they mm-hmm. say oh what was I doing wrong here how did you get out of this and how did I do this and then um, when I was at my competition last year, I made sure to tell them, mm-hmm. watch the blue belts and the purple belts and see how much they move and when they move. Because mm. when you watch the white belts, everything is like, um, yeah. it's very frenetic. It's very um, chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. But then when you watch like the, the colored belts, it's more like people don't mind relaxing and taking their yeah. time. And yeah. like, don't get me wrong, there are still um, explosive bursts, but they all have a purpose. Yes. Um, and like when you sh- when you tell them to actually sit down and f- physically watch for those things, yeah. it kind of clicks more easily in their mind where they go, oh, yeah. 
like so that's what they're doing there they're not um they're not figuring something out they're literally they're shifting their grips they're looking for small openings they're looking for this yeah. this and this yeah. and they're analyzing the situation yeah. and before they that's it so when, forward. when it's knowing when you need to apply tension when yeah. you need to and when you don't and when you can relax and this is why you know when somebody the first time somebody comes on the mat it doesn't matter how fit they are yeah they're going to be dying by the end of a round because they don't know when they're safe mm. so they're tense all the time and they're, you know trying to apply force all the time because they don't know when they can relax whereas when somebody gets a bit more experienced um like I said, I, 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 I'm, I'm getting old and lazy now. Um, <laughs> you can relax, 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 and then pick your moment, and that's you. You can get more effect from less effort. Mm. Like that's um, something that uh, Mauricio has spoken to me about. <laughs> He's like, I'm old now. I don't want to have to fly around the ring. I just want to like hug and drag and yeah. <laughs> move you around, um, and like. Um, like there is a part of me that thinks like that level of jujitsu is a young man's game like <laughs> all of that moving around i just i want to do like master six jujitsu right? <laughs> like lie down just just accept whatever they're giving you for a little bit and then roll over and take take them down do whatever <laughs> the lazy jujitsu is fun i enjoy yes, that you, you, you could spend uh, what is it seven and a half minutes of an eight minute round uh, <laughs> Just, just setting things up. Yeah, feeling uh, each know. other out. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, so yeah. Um, as you, like you said before, you um, you've received your belts from lots of different people in <laughs> Brazilian Jiu Jitsu because you've moved around a lot and like, did you when you were in uh, when you were going through your MMA career, did you have like, did you do the same camps for each fight, like with the same um, coaches, or did you like try and ch change it up? So, um, I mean, I had I had two main different camps that I worked with through my career. So I, I started out with SBG, um, and then what with one thing and another, things things happened, yeah. and um, I um, ended up at Next Generation in mm. Liverpool with Paul Rimmer, yes. um, and he was my main coach for sort of the latter half of my career so um oh, I was still still on very good terms with with them up there I mean the only reason I, I don't train there now is because I moved down to the Midlands yeah so I'm now training with Kev Webb over at uh, Stevie B's gym and um so that's where I, I'm mostly based okay um but I, as far as sort of work goes I work with a lot of the local jiu-jitsu clubs I, I there's a lot of fighters over at renegade who who i treat and i, I work with um and uh, a few from gracie barra birmingham as well mm. um, and like i say other little gyms and around cool um so at the moment you're are you still a brown belt yes i am i am i'm, I'm trying to be the world's longest serving because <laughs> um. <laughs> um did did you get your brown belt after one of your MMA fights I got my brown belt in I think it was 2011 or 12 it's from Chris Brennan um mm. up at next gen so that's uh it's been a while it's been a while it's been a while um 
Every, every so often somebody will talk about uh, you know black belt and I run and hide. Uh, I, I mean at the moment at the moment I ju- it, it, to be to be perfectly honest I just haven't had the time to yeah. be training consistently enough yeah. that I would be remotely comfortable wearing a black belt right now. Yeah. Um, so like I said I'm I'm not even remotely thinking mm. about that. Um, I mean like I say I'm hopeful that once once we get things running a bit more smoothly with yeah, business. And everything's I've got a few down. big projects on the go at the moment, but once we get things going with that, you I'll be able to get a bit more time and, back and I'll be able yeah. to sort of put some training together. And I mean, like I say, I'd like it to happen one day, but I am mm. not in a hurry. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm not looking for it. Cause like, I, I have to admit when I was um, doing like my research and stuff yeah. for this conversation, I was like, uh, I, I pulled up the list of uh, the female black belts in the UK. And I was like, Oh, like you're not there and then yeah. like, I went stalking through your Facebook um pictures I was like oh oh <laughs> like I was uh, struggling to combine the dots but like as you say you've had um like you've set up your yeah I mean the other yeah I mean the other thing is I, I did a lot of no gi for a long yeah. time um most of my background with uh, um with the M- through my MMA career mm. I was mostly training no gi and I always said I'm not going to be comfortable wearing a black belt until I've got my gi game sorted out at least yes. I've got I've got the basics of that I might st- always love no gi a bit more yeah but I don't want a black belt until mm. I've got you know a You're good allowed gi a game preference. yeah um so yeah so so I mean I, I suppose from that point of view you know I, I I really want to, you know, take my time and get that, get that good and get that sorted out first. So it's never been something that I've really, I've really chased after. No. Um, I think it's it's something that comes like when your instructor feels you're ready. And like you say, if you're training consistently and you're demonstrating yeah. that you're um, comfortable with your brown belt, that you're comfortable with the people that you're fighting and all of that, then it will come. Like it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and. So I, I have never been particularly focused on grades. Um, mm. I mean, I think maybe this is something that comes from having been through traditional martial arts, you know, mm. with a couple of different stuff and things like that. And uh, I don't know. I, I think you just get to the point where it's like, well, I'm as good as I am. Yeah. And the colour of the thing around my waist doesn't really affect that. Yeah. Um, like, if so, I'm honest, like, from the conversation earlier, like... You just like fighting. <laughs> like, I, I enjoy, um, yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy doing it. You know, I yeah. enjoy and, and getting in there and, and doing that. And I think, I don't know, I think particularly with uh, having come out the other side of the MMA scene and things like that, I'm just at a point where I don't feel like I've really got a lot that I need to prove to people. Yeah. And again, definitely. you know, not in the sense, I mean, there, there's still lots that I want to learn and there's lots that yeah. I want to explore. And, you know, I think there's, you know, there's all, all manner of things I want to get better at. But um, for you. Exactly. Yeah. It's because, it's because I want to do it um, and not because, again, I, I, knew, I used to be, I think this is just a general thing with getting older. You know, I used, when I was younger, I used to be very, very concerned with what everyone else thought and, you know, yeah. how everyone else saw me and everything like that. And I, know them I think it, I found that I, it just, I don't know, I, I'm just not so much these days. Mm. 
I am in a way, but I'm, I, th- I think I'm a bit more selective about whose opinion I care about. Yeah. If you see what I mean. Definitely. You know. Um, so, and again, like I said, a lot of my energy has been going into getting pe- other people back on the mat, mm. and that's sort of what I've been, where my focus has been. So. Um, yeah, you know, we were having this conversation before we started talking on the podcast about um, the misguided advice from uh, things like the underground, where someone will come in and say, I've got back problems. What, yes. what do you yeah, recommend? Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> it's uh, stem cells or CBD oil or turmeric or yeah. yoga. All of these weird or, and wonderful yeah, things. Yeah. But no one and, knows what yeah, is actually yeah, wrong yeah. with this person. Yeah. Um, but... One thing I do like about those conversations is there's always one person in there that goes, uh, that just tags you in it and goes, what do you think? And you're like, I have to see them. (laughs) I mean, I think my my general take on this is that you should never take medical advice from anyone who's prepared to give you medical advice on Facebook. Yes. Um, (laughs) Because that, just doing that disqualifies you from having a valid opinion, as far as I'm concerned. Um, (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) No, I mean, I, 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 do, I do break that rule sometimes, you know. So mm. it, w- with people, I'll sometimes suggest this is something that you could try. Yeah. Um, but with heavily, you know, yeah. lots of caveats. Lots of disclaimers. Lots of disclaimers, lots, <laughs> lots of caveats. Many an you know, asterisk. It's, I mean, again, it, it depends on the problem. There's, there's some things that come up. Go, yeah, you just need to get that looked at. Um, but I think the problem people have is knowing who to go to. And that's not an easy question because, you know, mm. if you go to your doctor, most of the time they're not musculoskeletal stuff. Unless you get lucky, musculoskeletal stuff doesn't tend to be their strong suit. Mm. There are some doctors who are an exception to that. But for most of them, they haven't done a lot of that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so what they're looking for is you know basically do I need to refer this or will I get away with prescribing painkillers and then you know there's physios osteopaths chiropractors sports therapists what have you and it's a real mixed bag you know I mean osteopaths are regulated you know we have a governing body so you can only call yourself an osteopath if you're on that list yes Um, so at least you know to some extent you know what you're getting and there's um but what they're mostly interested in is, are we safe? Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a little bit like passing your driving test. You know, if you, if you're on the list, you're, you're probably not going to kill anyone, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're a very good driver <laughs> yet. Yeah. It's only once you've got some experience and, and what you, who you get good at treating depends on who you treat. So mm. for me, because I see a lot of sports people, combat sports in particular, but sports in general, I tend to get quite good at treating sports people yeah you know, I see a range of other people as well yeah um but I suppose my my niche tends to be getting active keeping active people active yeah. getting them back to doing what they do um but that doesn't necessarily mean that every osteopath is going to be good at that because you've got some who mostly see elderly people or mostly mm. see you know kids or everyone has their own sort of niche and it's the same with physios you know you see a lot of physios who I mean, there are some excellent ones out there who yeah. are really, really good and, you know, have worked with lots of elite sports people and know their stuff. And then you get others who generally are just getting people back to pottering around and maybe doing a bit of gardening. Mm. Um, but it's like, and they're, they're two different problems. Yeah. So it's like with everything, yeah. though, your um, 
you're going to build a skill based on what you're exposed to. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. like, if I, uh, where I uh, come from a programming background, if yeah. I'm programming, uh, like, storefronts. Yes. Over and over again, yeah. if someone comes to me and says, we need you to build a back-end system for yeah. this, I don't have as much experience in yeah. that. Let, yeah. let me build the front-end. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, you could learn how to do it. You could do, yeah. you, you, you've got the um, I have the knowledge and theory, understanding yeah, to, to do to it. To figure it out, theory. but you wouldn't, you wouldn't have the, the experience to be able to do it easily. Yes. Um, and it, yes, it's absolutely the same thing. So, I mean, I always say people, when, you, when you're looking for a therapist or something like that, find out who they treat and what they do. Mm-hmm. And... Um, get somebody who specialises in, you know, yeah. your sort of injury and your kind of, I mean, not not just what the injury is, but also what you what you do, what you want to be able to do, um, because that's that's really important because we're not all the same. And I mean, I I regularly get people come and see me who go, I've been around, I've seen everyone, I've seen everyone, and I'll look at them and I'll assess them, and every so often it'll turn out to be something really exciting and interesting. Um, but mostly, it's actually really Simple. basic. Yeah. And I'm looking at them going, how has nobody figured this out? And the only conclusion I can draw, I mean, some of this is selection bias because I'm not seeing the people who had really good results somewhere else. Yeah. I'm only seeing the people who got bad results. So, but the, conclu- the only conclusion I can draw is that there are a lot of people out there who are not very good at what they're doing, which well, is a bit worrying. Um, like I would kind of... I wouldn't say agree, but mm. I would do what I'd usually do and look at things in terms of jujitsu. Like when mm-hmm. I was speaking to um, Melanie the other yeah. day, she was like, you're always going to have the things that you um, you do a lot because yes. other people work them on you and you have yeah. to defend yeah, yeah. other things that yeah. you enjoy doing. Yeah. So going back to the fundamentals classes yeah. helps immensely because you're picking up where you're the, the, the pieces that you're missing. Yeah. And what it seems like is those people they've gone to people who don't have exposure to the the small bits they're not yeah. they're yeah, not yeah. maintaining their fundamentals they're just going yeah. this isn't anything that I usually deal with and yeah. they miss something really yeah. basic yeah and again like i say you know some of that is selection bias um, yeah. i'm sure there are lots of very good practitioners out there but i don't tend to see their ex clients because yeah. they they stay where they are <laughs> um <laughs> So I, I see the people who've been to been to the the guys who are not so good, um, and yeah. Also, I think it very much depends on, on what you do. I mean, I I've got a lot of experience treating jujitsu guys because that's. Yeah. I mean, I I cut my teeth as a therapist treating martial artists and jujitsu people because that's who. I mean, when I was studying to be an osteopath, that's who I was around. Yeah. And so you know, every time somebody would have an injury, I'd be I'd be over there going, oh. Oh, tell me what, what's, what's going on. What's, what's <laughs> Let happening? Me have a look. Let me have a look. And that's where you get the experience. Is just you know, yeah. You're you're seeing lots of examples of, of those things. And by the time you've seen you know hundreds and you know, thousands probably of, of jujitsu injuries, you start to be able to put you know you piece things you're pattern together. matching. Yeah. Um, I mean, the human brain is great at pattern matching. That's what we do. And it's trying to say, okay, oh, this is a bit like. Yeah. those other ones I've seen over there and this is what worked for them so let's I mean that's how you you build up I mean that's why experience is is I mean it's what you trade on in in a in a, uh, a profession like this so the fact that I see a lot of those and a lot of other therapists maybe maybe don't you know they might mm. see one or two jiu-jitsu injuries but by and large they're they might be treating golfers or somebody yeah. <laughs> else you know it's um 
Um, and I think that maybe gives me a little bit of an advantage because, again, if when somebody walks in, I can usually tell by their build and by how they move and their mobility what kind of guard game they play, for example. Uh, or it's it, always good knowledge to have. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I'm wrong, mm. but I can usually make a pretty good guess. And then that tells me what kind of stresses they're likely to be under what's likely to be flaring things up what might be and then we can sort of you know dissect what they're doing what's causing the problem what's maintaining the problem mm. um and how we can get it better how we get from here to there yeah so being able to put those pieces together whereas if another therapist obviously if they don't even know what that person's doing they don't know what guard looks like yeah <laughs> they're not going to be able to make those, quite those same connections um and again, I mean, I really enjoy the sports-specific rehab aspect. You know, I sometimes get um, get my fighters down in the gym, and we'll we'll look at. I mean, we'll do the basic rehab, but then we'll look at the specific situations. It's like, okay, where are you still having problems, or where are you likely to get problems with this injury? You know, where are things? If if things are going to go horribly wrong, where's that going to be? And then how can we prevent that? What can we, you know? Mm. And sometimes, you know, it's it's a combination of adjusting a person's technique. Say, well, instead of this, let's do it more like that because that's going to suit you better or that's going to avoid those potential pitfalls. Um, Sometimes it's a question of uh, developing more strength. So we're adjusting the body to fit what they want to be able to do. Um, And sometimes it's a question of just building up tolerance level. So it's saying, okay, well, let's start we're going to do that we're going to start light and then we're going to gradually progress it until you're doing it at full speed Hmm. um and like i said that that's the kind of the kind of work that's i mean again it's being able to combine my interest my passion with yeah with the job you know that that's the holy grail isn't it yeah (laughs) Yeah, if you uh if you do something you're passionate about you never work a day in your life that's yeah good advice Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it doesn't. I, I think you can take that too far. It's it's, it's a nice idea. In, yeah. in practice, every job <laughs> is going to have some elements that are a bit tedious. Oh yeah. You know, there there there's plenty of this job that I'm just going. Oh, you know, like <laughs> filing, for example, and you know, writing up notes and things like this. Tax you know, returns. The, the, oh. ta- exactly. Yeah, the, the bits that are definitely less than enthralling, but then that's made up for by you know the the, the stuff really that's really stuff. interesting that's it and you know it's that trade-off it's like well I do this so I can get to do that yeah um, and I mean I, I love working with clients you know I think it's it one of the best things feelings in the world is when somebody comes in and they're in pain and they walk out feeling better and they know what they're doing they're you know you, you've reassured them that you know all their worst fears aren't coming true and actually things are going to be fine yeah and they've got a plan and you know and then you see them over the week and they they get better um and that's a you know that's a great feeling you know Mm. that's that's something that like i say is uh makes you feel like you're doing something worthwhile yeah and like i have to admit like when uh like last april i trapped my sciatic nerve um down like my right Mm. side and i was in a lot of pain for a long time and um I went to see a sports therapist. Is that what it is? Um, it's a lady called Caroline Kinane. She's a, a second dan black belt in judo. She's a, um, she works out of our jiu-jitsu. Oh, great. Um, yeah. yeah. Gym in Aylesbury. So again, she knows what, she the, knows what you're going to be doing. Yes. Yeah. So um, 
like I went to an osteopath before that I um I had some success there where they mm-hmm. were able to do some things but um going to see her and like she went through the movements and she like felt where things were and like at the end of that like I was still in pain she goes you're in pain but we can fix it and like just having someone who understood my situation yeah. tell me that it's not always going to be like this yes. was so reassuring yeah. that um like I felt great leaving and like yeah. hopefully she felt good that she could help yeah I mean sometimes sometimes that's a, that's a really important thing because I mean it's like I said, I, I've got a few clients who've had a disc prolapse or something you know that's more serious and mm. saying okay unfortunately there is no magic wand which is suddenly going to make this better right now but it is going to get better yeah it's going to take some time um, and there are some things we can do to help it on the way mm. it can help with your movement um but i think giving people that perspective and saying look i've, I've seen a lot of these and they do get better mm. you know, in the, the vast vast majority of cases um they they do get better but it can take some time and you just need to hang in there and and this is what's going to help um i think people do find that that useful um, Mm. because again it's getting that perspective but once you're in when you're in there a lot of the time it does feel like well this is going to go on forever you know this is me now um (laughs) this is my life yes and how i'm going to have to adjust (laughs) yeah um so i think sort of having that well look there's there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel yeah um and again, I mean, a lot of the time when people come in here, they're actually afraid that it's much worse than it is. Yeah. You know, when I can tell people, look, you know, I know it's painful. That's no fun. But this isn't something that's mm. serious. This isn't something that I'm worried is necessarily going to get worse and worse and worse until you die. Um, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's temporary. And yeah. I think... Uh, again being able to give people that perspective and kind of say well actually you know that we can get you back to doing jiu-jitsu we might need to be a little bit careful how you do it or we might need to um to work on a few things in order for you to to get back to doing that um like i said one of my one of my my best results recently actually and i'm I'm still uh, i'm I'm still feeling slightly smug about this still riding the yes yes yeah um it's okay because the, the my patient is as well. No, it's um, one of the one of my one of my fighters. Um, he had um, three prolapse discs in his neck. Um, and sounds fun. He was he was hosp- actually they kept him in hospital for about three days. Um, that's how bad it was. And like I said, if you it, it has to be pretty bad for them to keep you in. Um, mm. Sort of on all the drugs, everything like that. Um, he. He came to see me a few weeks after that, and we started. I started working with him, and we got him back to doing full-on MMA sparring, grappling, um, and he's just won a jiu-jitsu competition inside four months. Um, That's amazing. So I'm. I, I was quite chuffed with it. I mean, in fairness, he did all the hard work. He absolutely nailed the rehab. Mm. Um, I, I gave him lots of stuff to do and he went away and he did it all um, and when you get a client like that it's great because they make you look really good yeah um, <laughs> but like, that's um, one of the pitfalls of your um your profession because you can only do so much like a yeah. lot of the hard work comes from the patient themselves yes. and yeah yeah like well, it's, a, it's a partnership yeah i would say it's you know there's 
I think of myself sort of as a coach or as a guide, you know, and I can sort of take you through this. And the hands-on stuff, I mean, you can get people to, it helps, and it helps in terms of getting people out of pain. But if that's all you're doing, people will tend to keep coming back with the same issues. Mm. And I think you might send them away feeling better, but a week or two, they'll be back, same problem. Um, Whereas the thing that tends to make more of a difference in the longer term is by getting them to change what they're doing, either in terms of doing some exercise, you know, Mm. changing their training up or managing things differently. So a lot of what I spend my time doing with clients is talking to them about, right, how can we get you out of this cycle? You know, that's it might be changing what you're doing. It might be, you know, giving you a bit of an exercise plan. And the exercise plan I give people will depend on the person. You know, for some people, that's one thing that they're going to do. Yeah. You know, if for a lot of people, you know, the idea of having a sheet of exercises, you know, whoa, that's yeah. too much, too much. Um, whereas if I give them one thing, they can manage that. Um, whereas for somebody who's a competitive athlete and they need this to be better, you know, two weeks on Friday because they've got a big match on, um, then we're going to need to give them a lot more. Mm. So it's always, you know, treating people as individuals, I suppose, and yeah. looking at what they need rather than just doing the same thing for everyone who walks through the door. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so a lot of it comes down to, you know, getting getting the person on board with what you're doing. Um, mm. I think that's always that's always a challenge as well, as, yeah. especially when you've got somebody who's been around everyone else before, especially who's kind yeah. of, who m- might have done exercise programs and things that haven't been very successful or yeah they've tried this they've tried that you know they've and you know reiki and acupuncture and crystal healing and god knows what else and they're a bit jaded understandably because you know everyone else before has said oh yeah i I can fix this yeah and then they haven't um and i think then when you especially when you've got somebody in that position getting them to buy into what you're doing and to actually invest in it yeah um, I mean not just in terms of coming down for treatments but actually you know in in terms of what they're doing and mm. you know putting in the effort to to do those plans that's a challenge and that's uh, yeah, yeah I think that that's part of the art of yeah there's a lot that goes into yes. that relationship as well because yes. like it's not just you're not just uh, like a, a it's not just a doctor patient relationship like um, they have to understand that you understand what yeah. they're going through. So absolutely, I, like yeah. where they've, if someone has been around the houses, the fact that you go, oh, it looks like you do this, this, and this when you do this sport. Like the fact that yeah. you have a basic understanding yeah. of what it is they're actually doing might um, help build that rapport a lot. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that. I think of myself much more as a coach. Yes. than as a you know I'm, I'm not someone who's going to stand there and wave a magic wand and send them away feeling better and everything's going to be marvellous um, you mean you don't do the Miyagi hands whereas it's um, that costs extra okay. <laughs> <laughs> I no. always wanted to do a crane kick yeah yeah I mean if it, I wish that worked yeah and there are lots of people you know there's, I, I know there's a clinic down the road that will tell you that they can do that mm. um, I'm not sure about their results though but <laughs> I think the yeah is it, it's sort of getting people to understand that that's not how any of this works. No, you yeah. know, it's. I mean, I can send people. I can very often send people away feeling better. Yeah. But keeping them that way, especially when they're going to be rolling with 
the mad purple belt who's going to try and pull their head off yeah. later. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other problem, mm. you know, and no amount of placebo that I can do in or nothing, nothing that I can do in here yeah. on its own is going to stop that from being a problem. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, there are things that we can do, but again, it involves yeah. it involves buying it and, it and it involves work. You know, it's the mm. same as with you know any technique. You know, you you can show somebody a technique, but bef- for that to become useful and for them to be able to put that into practice and get results with it, it needs drilling. It needs drilling. <laughs> And needs work and like I said there is no you know people it's like when people are white belts they go on all the seminars around yeah. and it's they're, they're looking for this one magic technique that's going to work on everyone and it's going to you know there's no such thing you know, and th- then you know by the time you've been doing this a little while you realize that there's no such thing mm. and you know that feeling when somebody shows you a technique and you go this is the best thing ever I'm going to get everyone with this. I don't know why I didn't know this before this is this is fantastic um, and then the first time you try it in sparring you go ah uh, shit <laughs> that's why I haven't been doing it before what was um, the detail yeah and then I mean it's not that it doesn't work it's that because you haven't drilled it drilled, pro- it's yeah. not as easy as it looked when you were yeah shown in the seminar by, getting to the position yeah. is the first thing and then actually yeah. performing yeah, the submission yeah. is a whole other um, yeah. kettle of fish and, like that's one of the things I admire a lot about Hodger like mm-hmm. everything that he does is so basic but he's drilled it so many times yeah. that like yeah. he makes it look easy and um, like everything that he does is kind of just mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of left in awe like I can do that yeah. Not that well, yeah. but I could do that. I yeah. probably think. Um, and then you try it, and yeah, <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And I think it's, uh, I mean, that's the thing. It's the devil's in the, in the detail, mm. and you, it only becomes useful once you've, you've worked yeah. at it a lot. And it's a, it's the same thing. Like I said, it's the same yeah. thing with all the stuff that I do. You know, I, I can show somebody. I mean, again, depends on the problem, but I can show somebody in five minutes. Mm some things that they can do which will help with their shoulder pain but it's only going to become useful if they then take work that away it. and work on it um, yeah. and not everyone does yeah <laughs> it's weird like everybody wants to get fixed but no one wants to work uh, to do it like everyone's looking for the magic it's, it's bizarre yeah. it's bizarre because yeah. people don't mind spending money yeah but they do mind spending time a lot of the time well, if you tell people you know I've got this magic fix it's going to cost you it's going to cost you 300 pounds but it's going to fix your problem yeah Yeah. there are people who will spend that money but if you ask them to do an equivalent amount of work sort of paid at their hourly rate you know you say okay well 300 pounds how long is it going to take you to earn that right if you give me that that many hours yeah i can fix your shoulder they're not willing they won't do that but Um, like well, a lot of people won't. Again, I'm, yeah. I'm generalising. You know, there's, but it's true. There's this, like, yeah. like there's a, a very apt saying, and yeah. and and oh, what is it? I just had it in my head a second ago. Uh, an idiot and their money are two separated. Like, yeah. And like, the thing with things like that is, placebos wear off very, very quickly, and like anyone can go to uh, one of the. Um, I don't know how to not say it in a derogatory way. <laughs> One of the shysters. And um, get their Mr. Miyagi fix and feel great coming out. But you're going to have the same problem the next day. Yeah. And as you say, if you're not working on it, then there's no way that yeah. it's going to get fixed 
properly, you're just going to keep putting a like a plaster over the the well the broken limb. <laughs> like it's not going to work. Yeah, I th- I think, I mean it's it's one of those things. It's one of those things. I think um, you can tell you can definitely tell the difference between the people who who are serious about getting something better mm. and the people who are just going around everyone looking for. Yeah. L- looking for who's got the magic beans. Um, so, I mean, I, like I say, I, I, I see a few of those. I, I used to, you know, when I, you get somebody ringing up and going, so why are you different from everyone else I've seen? You know, how you sell it to yeah. me. You sell it to me. And I used to sort of, you know, now pitch yeah. and, you know, really try. These days I'll just go, well, look, you can, you can come down and find out. We'll have a chat. Yeah. We'll see. Or not, or not, or yeah. not. Um, but I, f- I always find that people like that, they're, they're often looking for that quick fix, quick fix magic answer. And I, I say, well, yeah, I, I don't have one of those. I mean, in in some cases, you can do things that look like they're a magic fix because mm. if it's the right problem and coming the yeah. right way, sometimes you can you can do. Th- I mean, I, I have got people who say, yeah, you do have magic hands. Uh, well, <laughs> you just have to have the right problem. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so th- there's sometimes you can do that, but I think the, the the majority of the time it's a question of okay, well let's figure out what's going on and let's figure out a path, and then I'm I'm there as a guide. So mm. that's uh, I I think that that again, especially for jujitsu people, they tend to they tend to get that. Yeah. Um. One thing I did want to speak to you about mm-hmm. um, isn't related to uh, jujitsu or sports at all, um, and that's your um, I want to like your younger years because like mm-hmm. by the time you started your MMA career, you already had uh, a first class degree in mathematics. Uh, was it your masters in mathematical logic? That's right. Yes. And then you have a PhD in theoretical computer science. In, yes. Is that right? Yes. Um, so you're pretty much a doctor <laughs> by the time <laughs> you start um, your MMA career. Um, and now you've moved into osteopathy. Like, what made you want to transition from such, um, like, theoretical um, academia into, like, the the more physical sides of things like I it's think, not something that yeah like, coming from uh, a yeah. computer sciences background mm-hmm. myself like i i can understand um like that side of things but i'm i'm very interested to find out about what caused the switch between the two it's interesting because i think looking back i really enjoyed the abstract theoretical Mm. Work. Yeah, I I enjoy doing it, but it's very easy for me to get lost in it. So I can spend three days working on a problem, mm. sat at my computer, and then realise that I've not eaten or talked to anyone for three days. <laughs> um, I've been there, and I I think there was a point when I realised that this wasn't terribly conducive to being psychologically healthy. Um, mm. I think at the time I. I when I got into martial arts, um, I realised just how much I got out of that. And I think, again, I was one of these people who found that, you know, from 
from a mental health point of view, um, that was really, really good for me. You know, mm-hmm. I think the, the regular exercise and that sense of community, you know, being around people, um, all of those things, you know, I think I found that that was um, that was really important. And that's when I sort of got got really really into it um the the interest in sports injuries came from not being able to train Mm. with various injuries my own um i think i originally the first one i remember was a back injury Uh, it's quite quite a nice one it'd gone on for a few months um and it's one of those where i just couldn't get comfortable you know couldn't really train everything was and eventually my judo coach pointed me so it was uh, an osteopath in Manchester. I went and saw him. It and it really was one of those where it, it felt like magic. Um, yeah. And uh, did a few things, and pain went away. And it was like, that's amazing. I want to be able to do that. Um, so that's where my the interest originally came from. And then, sort of combining the idea of well actually I don't want to spend the rest of my life sat at a desk because I don't think yeah. that's going to be very good for me um I do want to work with people now. yeah <laughs> um and sort of realizing that actually I do want to work with people I think because I sort of grew up as a slightly socially awkward nerdy kid um people always terrified me mm. and I think the idea of working with people I just found intensely anxiety provoking um it was only after spending some time doing doing martial arts, doing combat sports. I think that really helped me address that sort of fear of people, if you like. Um, and at that point, I thought, you know what? Actually, I, d- I think I do want to work with people. Mm. So sort of putting that together with the interest in sports injuries and the interest in mixed martial arts, I started thinking, well, maybe this is something that I want to take further. Um, and that's when I until I was going to retrain, go back to university and mm. study to be an osteopath. So that's that's how that all came about. And it was a really good decision. Yeah, it was yeah. it was the right it was the right answer for me. Um, was, I love what I do. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes I do wonder how things would have turned out, you know, if I'd maybe gone into programming or something instead. Mm. Um and it's something that I thought I thought about. I mean, I'd always assumed growing up that's where I was going to end up, yeah. um, and then I sort of went off to punch people in the head for ten years <laughs> instead, uh, which seemed like the logical alternative at the time. Um, yeah. Is uh, so. So yeah. That, so that was uh, that was kind of how how I got from A to B, if you like. Awesome. Because um, like, um, like I. I can't say I have the same success in academia as you do, but I, um, I was I struggled at school. Um, I, uh, I had a lot of personal issues, and I had um, my own uh, mental health issues that I was trying to deal with on my own. So I wasn't um, focusing as much attention to my studies as I should have. But I've found that since I've left, um, like the standard educational structure, yeah. I've. Um, wanted to learn independently a lot more so um i i like to read a lot on yeah. things and, and there's more opportunities than ever to, to yeah, do that now exactly um, and um but i i have found that i have 
kind of an obsessive personality when yeah. it when it comes to certain things so that's yeah. why when I, I uh, get involved in like uh, programming and stuff yes yeah um, I think it's it gets, I think it's kind of a, it's almost a job requirement for yes. to, be, to be into that sort of thing um, I mean it's something I found when I was doing maths at university you know it was uh, I mean in the nicest possible way it was like an Asperger's support group yes um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and yeah, it, it does require a level of obsession. Yes. And like, that's the one thing that uh, I've spoken about it briefly before on um, the podcast, where yeah. I find that that um, obsession in academia translates mm-hmm. really well into jujitsu because yeah. it's yeah. as much uh, a mental sport yeah. as it is a physical yeah. one. And there's a lot of sort of quote unquote nerdy kids, if you like, who get yeah. into um who get into jiu-jitsu and do really well mm. and the, the great thing about it is they're never the people that you would expect to be good at no. beating somebody up um like, I, they're not somebody who, <clears throat> who you'd, they're almost the, the kids who you'd stereotypically expect to get bullied yeah uh, it's like that's amazing yeah you know? but i think it um, it translates back to something that you said earlier on, mm-hmm. like the, the human brain is a great um, pattern matching tool. So if you're already quite adept at pattern matching from like mathematics mm-hmm. or programming things, you're going to be able to better translate that to other things in your yeah. life. So like when jujitsu comes along and that you start learning transitions from like side control to mm-hmm. um, neon belly into an armbar or something, you can start to match the movements and things a lot yeah. better than someone who's just coming at it from a purely physical sports background mm-hmm. so um like that's one of the things yeah. that i found drew me to jujitsu originally um because i mm-hmm. started at an mma gym and yeah. i was doing like thai boxing and jujitsu and then mm-hmm. unlike yourself i didn't quite enjoy being punched in the <laughs> face <laughs> um i found that i was drawn more to jujitsu mm-hmm. and then like the more i did it the more um i started to Mm-hmm. build this image up in my mind of what it was and what I enjoyed about it and everything and yeah yeah it's it's fun and like I don't I don't quite agree with the description of it's like human chess because I think it's more complicated than that yeah yeah no I'm I'm <laughs> down with that um like who was it I think it was Joe Rogan he said it's more like drafts than it is um what's it called than chess and I, I don't agree with that either no I think it's more like a, it's analog chess yeah chess is chess there's discrete moves yes whereas I think with jiu-jitsu you don't have that it's much more yeah I quite, I quite analog chess um while you're you know somebody else is trying to pull your head off mm. um <laughs> <laughs> like I said this to um Melanie the other day where I was talking about um again Joe I need to stop talking about Joe Rogan. Uh, I think I have a bit of an obsession. Like like I was saying before, I've spent a lot of my time in the last eight weeks just listening to his podcast. He says uh, jiu-jitsu is... Um, what is it? It's an analytical sport with dire consequences. Something along those lines. I've completely butchered that <laughs> quote. But um, it's... Yeah, it's weird. I like that it's one of the only kind of full contact sports that you can actually do at a hundred percent if you want to, because with the striking and stuff, it's a, it's one of the only full contact sports you can actually do at a hundred percent 
more than one day in a row. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, whilst there are still um, there are still injuries, there yes. are still like a lot of things that can go wrong. Yeah. If you're smart with how you train, mm-hmm. you can train every day. Yeah. But like, um, it goes back to what we were speaking mm-hmm. about earlier when you were doing like the taekwondo and the mm-hmm. traditional jujitsu. You didn't feel like it was actually preparing you for a real fight because it didn't mimic the environment of a real fight. Yeah. But when you actually get on the ground in jujitsu, like you know that you're both having an actual fight and like yeah i mean you limit what people can do but at the same time that both people are still trying to win yeah so it yeah you've got that real that realistic element to it element to it yeah and i mean one of the things that's sort of given me the confidence that yeah i probably can choke most people out is because you do it in the gym yeah you know if somebody <laughs> walked in and they've got no jiu jitsu experience chances are I'm going to be able to get on their back and choke them. You I'll know, think something I think in. I'll find it. Yeah. Um, and and that's, you know, that gives you a lot of confidence, I think. Um, and again, it's not that I've any particular desire to go out and pick a fight, you know. No. I, I mean, in all the years I've been doing martial arts, I've had a couple of scuffles, which really amounted to no more than a bit of shoving. Mm. Um, and there have been a few times when I've been really glad that, I had the confidence that mm. I, if some if some it did turn into something, I'd be able to do something about it. Um, but I've not really needed any more than that. Mm. Um, but it's also um, the ability to <clears throat> step back and assess a situation because if mm-hmm. you didn't have the background in uh, mixed martial arts or in jujitsu in general, mm-hmm. something might escalate a lot further than it needs mm. to because neither of you are willing to back down. Mm. But like. As you said earlier, you've got nothing to prove now. If someone wants to start a fight with you, you'd just be like, whatever, I don't, I don't yeah. care. Um, and like, what was I going to say? I was going to say something else and I've completely forgotten again. No, I think, I think that's, um, yeah. And I think, I think one of the things, one of the really useful things about having trained in MMA or Brazilian mm. Jiu-Jitsu or a life sport is that a lot of those physical confrontations lose some of their fear. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I've been beaten up. Yeah. I've been beaten up a bunch of times. <laughs> it wasn't any fun, uh, but I survived. It was okay. It wasn't that bad. Um, yeah. So suddenly the idea of being in a physical confrontation with somebody is like, well, the worst comes to the worst. You know, it's. Yeah. I know what that's like. I know what that's <laughs> I've like. Been there. I've been there. And I think because of that, you know, and you used to be in a, in a, in a relatively controlled environment. Mm. So it's it's not something that I worry about that much. Yeah. I, I notice that that sort of gives me a different mindset from a lot of my other female friends who don't train martial arts. Um, because for me, it's like, well, it's not that I assume that I can beat everyone up because I know that's not the case. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be people out. And again, depending on the situation, depending on what's going on, it's more that I'm just not that worried because I can look at the probabilities and go, well, actually, the chances of me being attacked by a stranger are really pretty small. Mm. Um, and that's a that's a risk I'm relative. I'm reasonably happy to take. Whereas if it's something that I think you that you're more scared of, mm. it's harder to look at the harder to look at in a, it yeah. in a statistical way um, yeah. and it becomes more emotional very much so 
But yeah. also, like, with uh, women in general, like, I find that confidence is a commodity that isn't uh, readily available, I'm going to say. Um, and, like, especially for someone like yourself, like, what, five, four, five, six? Yeah, five, four. Um, like, you're walking around looking up at everybody. And, like, without that level of confidence, like, the world can be a scary place. And yeah. it was one of the things that... <clears throat> I've listened to all of my podcasts back recently and I have realised that I keep telling the same stories over and over. <laughs> so I, I'm going to really try hard not to. But um, when I started, I didn't really have a lot of confidence. And like, I'm not a small person. I'm five foot 11. I'm quite broad. And um, when I was growing up, people just expected that I knew how to take care of myself. I thought I did, but then I got beaten up by people who were about your size when I started jiu-jitsu. And, um, like, jiu-jitsu gave me a lot of confidence, and it's one of the things that I value most from my time on yeah. the mat. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the things that I try to promote uh, amongst my friends because mm-hmm. uh, I come from a marginalised community, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of people who um, are in very dangerous situations on a daily basis. And it's mm. something that would benefit them greatly. But, um, like, one thing I've spoken to about everyone I've had on the podcast is how do you get women from this side of the mat to that side of the mat? And, yeah. like, that first step is yep. always the most difficult. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, especially in the trans community, people, mm. like, there is a level of intimidation about uh, the gym setting in general. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um like it it could be the changing rooms the training partners the coaches themselves yeah like there are so many different elements that go into feeding that fear and um like it needs representation to show that that fear is uh kind of unfounded Mm. in a lot of ways absolutely but um building that foundation is proving to be very very difficult (laughs) when it like I know that it shouldn't be because I'm on this side I'd, yes, and I can see it. Yeah. Um, but like convincing other people otherwise is yeah. very difficult. And um, yeah. I have the same, it's not as intense as it yeah. is with the trans community, but my female friends, I, yeah. I ask them to do yeah. the same thing. And it's like, they have other reservations mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. it because of their stature, because of um, mm-hmm. like their upbringing and stuff and like the closeness of it that's always something that comes up again and again and again yeah like it's very um personal (laughs) but um it goes back to what you were saying earlier like the jujitsu community is a very close-knit community because you have to be yeah um, i actually wonder whether sometimes i mean in that respect whether the internet has maybe not done us any favours in, yeah. in that particular way. Because I think when you go on the internet, you've got all these individual tribes and lots of people yeah. shouting at each other and <laughs> flinging mud over the fence at the neighbouring tribes. Yes. Um, whereas when you, in person, most people are actually quite nice. Yes. I when, you, when you actually speak to somebody face to face, the vast majority of people are lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally you get somebody who's not, but... Uh, most of the time but if you take that online you get a lot of people who are saying a lot of things that they wouldn't necessarily say to somebody in person but because there's it's separated um, by by the internet you know they they feel like they can say that and 
I think sometimes that can make certain communities feel unwelcome. Yeah. Like um, there's something that's happening at the moment in the UK. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, what is it? There's a gender recognition act reform mm. that's happening, and there's a lot of mudslinging from both sides. Like, mm. um, like whilst I do have a, a vested interest in um, like the recognition yeah. act being passed, um, like there are people who have genuine concerns, but mm-hmm. then there are people who have inflated concerns. concerns. Yeah, and um, like the issue is. The misinformation is placed into the public domain and that information is then taken as gospel because some people don't look into the information themselves. And then you're arguing with people who have misinformed views. And like, then you have people who are very emotional about something against people who are misinformed and they're arguing from an emotional place. So they're attacking the person directly and they're not attacking the information. Yeah. And then everything yeah. kind of and blows it's, up. It's all a mess. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. I think, <laughs> I think that, I mean, the, the, the debate I've seen on that has been singularly unhelpful. I think yeah. it's, it's not been, because again, if you end up in a situation where people have genuine concerns, whether they're well-founded or not, yeah. um, but they feel like they're not being addressed because everyone's just mudslinging. Yeah then again and then there's other people who feel like they're being um persecuted if you like or because people are using these inflated concerns to drive an agenda yes i think it's like i say it's just a mess yeah um but um it's like what you were saying Mm. a, a moment ago if you put a person's face to it yes everything changes yeah um take what happened last year like Mm -hmm. there was a lot of issues with me competing in Mm. jiu-jitsu and i had the opportunity to go on dan's podcast and um a lot of people heard that and like they had their opinions changed maybe a little bit but then what that also did was allow like i still went to competitions throughout Mm. the year and people felt that they could approach me and talk to me about it and i was able to speak to people and I'd put a face to I tell you what, actually, I think one thing that you've done an exceptional job of that most people find really hard is not getting defensive about mm. it and being approachable and open to questions. And I think the way you've come across with that has been really good um, mm. because I think a lot of people um, in that situation might have got quite defensive and yes. got quite angry. Um, and like I say, there, there, I, there's some comments I saw that you would have been well within your rights to yeah. that, but you handled them re- re- in a really level-headed and, and clear way. Mm. And I think that actually in itself came across really well and people saw that. And that was one of the things that has maybe changed a few people's minds mm. because we didn't end up in that sort of horrible mudslingy place yeah. where everyone's just shouting at everyone else. And I think the world needs more of that. Yeah, like I have to say, I think it's not that I wasn't angry. Yes, because I was absolutely. And my responses were very much by design. Like, yeah. um, As I said on Dan's podcast, Mm -hmm. I did want to get involved. I did want to tell people, but um, I I didn't. I turned my phone off and threw it away for a couple of days. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But when it happened again and things started kicking off, like I was able to take a more measured. view of it and respond yeah. um 
a bit better like take a step back, back. and say yeah. what are they actually saying here and how do I combat the information that they're passing yeah. to me yeah. so I wasn't going I wasn't yes. attacking it yeah. from an emotional and it's not an, it's not an easy thing to do I think no. is what you say. and I think that's uh, I mean that's important because I think a lot of people sort of respond from that initial instinctive emotional mm. place rather than saying right what's my end goal here what do I want yeah and then taking a step and, and doing the harder thing rather than the easy thing. Yeah. And um, there were a lot of people who yeah. were literally just trying to get a rise yes. out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I saw there was, there was a lot of stuff on there. I mean, I, I didn't get too involved in in any of that. But yeah. uh, I think it was, uh, like I say, was a lot of people who, are coming, who were coming across very badly. Um, yeah. But, like, it, I'm... I, like that group has what eleven and a half thousand people in it, mm. and I think that yeah. the two threads combined probably had about uh, eight or nine hundred comments yeah. altogether, and most of them were the same people. So yeah. we are. Yes. It is people on the fringes. Yeah. There are going to yeah. be people who are super defensive. There are going to be people who are super offensive. Yeah. But then most of the people are yeah. like yourself. It's just like this doesn't involve me <laughs> I'm not going to get involved because it will just muddy the water yeah. essentially yeah I think there's there's a I mean there's a time and a place for having a really good discussion about things mm-hmm. but I think like I say with, with with some of that it's a difficult thing to do sometimes on the underground I think um, yeah. because there is so much um, vitriol yeah <laughs> I was trying to think of a different way of putting that but yeah um, no it's a, it can be it can be a, a, a difficult um, and again there's there's lots of people on there who are absolutely lovely but it only takes one or two yeah. to and as once once something has started sliding in that direction and again I think this is part of the problem with the internet because we've not evolved to interact via that medium yeah. and I think in person you know we've evolved to most of the time to get on with each other reasonably well mm. um and generally like i say people i'm no, we're british you know we, we, yeah. we, we we're really good at being polite to people um <laughs> we like to avoid confrontation yeah i mean sometimes to an extent that it's not actually that helpful but um <laughs> but like i say online as soon as you you, te- you put that barrier yes in the way all hell breaks loose and it's like i mean since I've every so often I sort of occasion accidentally wander outside my filter bubble on Facebook or something like that, <laughs> and I'm I'm shocked. Yeah, there are really people who think this stuff. Yeah. Um, because I don't see you don't see it in in everyday no. life, and you don't and you kind of go, is this level of hate it, really yeah. around me on a day to day basis? Um, but um, so I can't remember when it was. It was either two or three years ago. Um, it was when the um, same-sex marriage bill was mm. going to be passed in the US. So it was very divisive as an issue. I can't remember. Mm. Yeah, they were passing it as a, a federal law rather than a state's mm. law. And um, one of the things that the LGBT community did was send people door to door. They had yeah. couples going door to door and yeah. uh, talking to people. And they found that yeah. that was a whole lot yeah. more, um, people more receptive to that than any other form well, yeah. of um, no, information. I can believe that. I believe that. Because once, if it's, when it's your neighbours, you know, yeah. it's like when people say, you know, it's, it's, people might have a problem with gay people in theory, but when it's their cousin or, you know, mm. then, you know, it's very nice lads next door or something, you know, that whatever. That's it, yeah. Um, 
when it's somebody they know, it's a, people think, oh, oh, they're all right. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's the same thing with immigrants, isn't it? It's like, yeah. I, I don't mean the ones, you know... I don't mean the ones that are a benefit to society. Mm. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean, you know, the, the, the kids who go to my son's school, and they're lovely, you know, I talk, their parents yeah. everything, they're fine. It's the other ones. See, um, like... Um, like... Ah, oh, I don't know if I should say it or not. <laughs> I will. You can edit it so, out afterwards. So my dad, like my dad's one of those people who reposts stuff on Facebook, and like he's like anyone in their like uh, 60s, 70s yeah. on yeah. Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's like occasionally, like he he'll repost things from like Britain First and things like that, and he posted something the other week which was like illegal immigrants are coming here and they're taking 800 pounds a month from the state, and I'm like. Read what you've just written. If they're illegal, how are they claiming benefits? benefits. Yes. Like, yeah. Your argument <laughs> makes no sense. Yes. Get off my timeline. <laughs> it's so yeah. silly. As I said, Schrodinger's immigrant, the one who's simultaneously lazing around on benefits and stealing, and stealing your, your job. job. Yeah. Um. <laughs> it's so silly. Um, I'm very conscious yeah. of the time, and you yes. have another person uh, coming soon. So, um, is there anything? that you would like to finish on like uh, I normally try to talk to people about the female engagement in jiu-jitsu but um I think we've spoken quite yeah we've, we've covered a lot we've covered a lot of ground there um, <laughs> if I can if I can give it a quick plug to my latest project very um, much do as uh, I've got a, a website combatsportsclinic.net um, and at the moment we're working on putting some video content out um, we're doing uh, a specific strength and rehab work for martial artists combat sports athletes so at the moment we're just we've just finished filming um, next strength masterclass mm-hmm. so we're just editing that at the moment so that should be available I'm hoping it's going to be we're going to have it done for September um, so that's some of the work that I've been doing with my my fighters. I mean, both for rehabbing neck injuries, but also ideally preventing them from becoming a problem in the first place. Also, so, I think neck strength is one of those things that we just don't think about enough. Cause yeah. Tend to do tend to do a few bridges and call it good. Um, <laughs> whereas I think you know when you think about, I mean, you've got people doing lots of S and C work now. There's a, you know a lot more interest in doing proper strength yeah. conditioning sports things like that you know you get people doing weights work working with strength coaches but one of the things that we just don't really cover enough is that neck strength and i think that's one of the reasons i see so many neck injuries with grappling mm. so guys so that's something i've been passionate about for a while um, again i've got personal history there so that's um, maybe inspired me a bit um but i'm hoping that we're, we're going to put that out there so that's one to watch out for but if you um you join up on the combat sports clinic site um We'll keep you in the loop with whatever's awesome. Is there going, going to be one on. for lower back strengthening? There will be. There because will I be. I need it in my life. Right. There, <laughs> that is that is on our list. It's on our list of things to do. Um, I've actually been filming some rehab plans for Yoga for BJJ. That's Sebastian's site. Yes. Um, and I've been doing some some rehab plans for him. Awesome. So if you go on his site, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be worth a look as a first port of call. But we have got. I I actually taught a seminar with Nathan Leverton. Um, it was a while back now, it was about a year ago, on some lower back for jiu-jitsu. Um, so the idea is that we're eventually going to put that on, on film as well. 
Awesome. So that's the that's the plan. Cool. And are you also doing the jiu-jitsu camp in August? Yes. So I will be I'll be up there. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be there for the whole weekend yet, or whether I'm just going to be there on the Sunday. But I'm down to teach some. So I'm going to be teaching some of my my neck strength, a little bit of the the work I've been doing there, and I'm also going to combine it with some um, neck attacks. Ooh. So break it and fix it. <laughs> I'm not sure which I'll do first. Yeah, it's so. Uh... <laughs> well, teach the attacks first, and then. And so, then fix th- this this is what you should have been doing for the last three months, so that you wouldn't be as sore as you're going to be tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I love it. it. Um, right. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's and been great uh, to great to chat to you. Awesome. And there you have it. Um, I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. Um, I have another conversation lined up for the next couple of weeks which um should be quite interesting as it's a subject that's very close to my heart um yes i would very much urge you all to um go to rosa sexton's uh website which you mentioned at the back end of the podcast that's combatsportsclinic.net um she's also a part of a summer camp that's happening on the uh, between the 24th and 26th of August at the Dojo in Kendall. It's um, hosted by Sophie Cox, and there's more information on that at Sophie Cox Judo or on word.co.uk. Um, the training camp will have um, basically seminars run by Sophie Cox, who is a Judo Olympian. You have Vanessa English, who is a brilliant brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner a black belt european champion and uh world championship bronze medalist this year i believe um obviously rosie sexton and uh the wonderful fion davies um and yeah other than that that's uh, kind of it from me i really hope you enjoyed the podcast and i look forward to speaking to you all again really really soon mic check this is the sound of my voice and i'm doing talking And this is me, and I'm talking. Doing more talking.